You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Good morning, everyone, and it's great to be with you. It feels like it's been some time. Uh, I was able to get away. Um, had my parents out here after a long overdue. Like many of us, had plans in 2020 that were pushed to 2021, and then 2022 were able. So they came out and spent a couple of weeks with us. Were able to get away. Uh, go to one of our favorite places, Prince Edward County and Sandbanks National Park, and the beautiful beach there. And there's just something about getting away. And I really hope that um, either you have already or are, have some plans over this summer to do that, just to take the time to enjoy the beautiful weather, to get outside, and uh, just to slow down a little bit. And it's amazing what happens, how uh, good that is for our soul when we just get to do that. And so uh, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. My name is Richard, if you don't know who I am. And uh, we're going to be jumping back into our summer series. We we heard from Pastor Prime last week, uh, one of our pastors, a Canadian pastors up there in uh, Winnipeg. And But we're going to be jumping back into our summer series called Ecclesia. Um, and uh, if you're not sure what that word means, it's the word that Jesus used and the New Testament uses when it refers to this thing called the church. Now, for those of us here in Canada, you might be hearing the word church a little bit more often this week in our news headlines and national headlines because we have a very important visitor to Canada this week. The Pope is here doing some incredibly important things uh, around uh, around just some of the first uh, our First Nations, Indigenous people, uh, rectifying some of the wrongs there. And so you might hear this word church a lot in the news and a lot in, in wherever you get your news. Um, and uh, when it's when the when the word church is, is thrown out, we have very different um, ideas about it and very different emotional responses. You might see a little bit of that this week. But if we put aside all the things that sometimes we think about the church, what is the church? The essence of the church, at least according to Jesus in the New Testament, was basically the people of God. It's, it's the people of God who have been called by God to serve his purposes in the world. It's the people that have come together to follow Jesus together and to be upon his mission doing that together. It's very much a community-based thing. And so we're going to be looking at that. Uh, We're looking at that over the summer, what it means to be the church. And specifically, what we're looking at is what the early church, the earliest form of the church, devoted itself to. Our core scriptures in Acts 2, where it tells us how they devoted themselves to certain practices. And we're going to be exploring them, what it means. And to be devoted is really powerful. It means to be steadfast and single-minded faithfulness to a course of action. To be devoted to something, to persist in something, to be continually in something. Not just a one-off thing where every now and again, sporadically, we do something that's not devoted. Devotion is to be consistently giving yourself to something. And uh, and we see this in the life of the, the early church, is they gave themselves to very specific practices. In fact, we've distilled six practices that they gave themselves to. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at that. It was kind of like a rule of life. Now, to give you an image uh, of what we're talking about here, uh, you think about a trellis and a vine. Think about a trellis is often a structure that's set up to allow a plant, in this case a vineyard, to um, grow in maximum fruitfulness, to be healthy, to be lifted up from the ground where pests and things could destroy potentially that harvest. And so that trellis, that structure, are these practices that then allowed the church to grow in its faithfulness and its fruitfulness. And so it's we can make too big a deal sometimes of the structure and there's little growth. 
we can overstructure our lives. But at the same time, we can also say, well, we're just gonna, if it's gonna grow, it's just gonna grow and haphazardly ha- happen organically. And so there's a marriage between structure and then just the growth that Jesus and his, and his spirit pours upon that. And that's what we're looking at. Particularly, we're looking at the six practices for growth that the early church devoted themselves to. And in no particular order, uh, we looked at that they devoted themselves to relationship, to community. Sheila spoke about that. They devoted themselves to truth, to learning scripture. We're going to be speaking about that today. They devoted themselves to worshiping together. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to serving one another in incredibly generous, radical, sacrificial ways. And lastly, they devoted themselves into being witnesses to this risen Jesus, to the people and the culture around them. And so those are the practices. That's the trellis that we're going to be exploring over the summer. All right, so today's text, Acts 2, verse 42, is going to be our foundational text. In fact, that whole passage I'm just going to highlight today. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, who were the apostles? The apostles were the 12 disciples that had gathered around Jesus that had witnessed his resurrection. And so you might say, okay, well, what would they have been teaching? Well, I think it's safe to say that the apostles' teaching was primarily full of the words and teachings of Jesus. They'd spent three plus years with this man who had then died and rose from the grave, spent another 40 days teaching them. I think the apostles' teaching was was not going to be their ideas, was going to be, hey, let us tell you what Jesus told us. Let us tell you all that was like living and following this Jesus. And so you must remember the earliest church was full of Jewish Christians. These were people that knew the Jewish Bible. And so they probably involved that. They probably were looking at the Jewish Bible with new eyes and seeing all the ways that it was actually pointed to Jesus all along. But let's make no mistake, the apostles' teaching was primarily the words and the way of Jesus. And so let's have a look at what Jesus also has to say about his word and about the importance of scripture. In Matthew 4 verse 4, it's a classic scene. Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted by the devil, and the devil has the audacity to quote scripture to him. And so Jesus comes back and quotes scripture back to him and says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so, as someone's pointed out, it's important to note that Jesus said bread, because bread is often something more daily in use. It's bread for daily use, not cake for special occasion. That's not how we to think of Scripture. Sometimes we do think of it as cake for special occasion. That's not the way we want to handle Scripture. It's daily bread. It's, it's like you would, um, you would not skip a meal, right? You would not skip a meal. Not intentionally, at least. And so in the same way, uh, Jesus refers to Scripture as our food, as our sustenance, that there's a way to live beyond just living on our daily needs of bread and food and shelter and water and that kind of thing. There's a daily way that we need to live that rests and relies upon the Word of God. In a, in a, another classic um, part of Scripture, in Matthew chapter 7, uh, Jesus now just doesn't just refer to Scripture as being essential food for us, but as a foundation upon which we build our lives. So listen here as you paint this analogy of what it's like when we choose to listen to Scripture and put it into practice in our lives compared to the person who doesn't. Now, to set you up, this parable comes at the end of a famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus has spent some time teaching people. And he uses his parable at the end of it to sum it up. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. 
yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash." So firstly, Jesus was using scripture as food. It's like our daily bread. And now he uses it in a different analogy. He says it's like the rock. It's like what we build our lives upon a foundation. Notice how both men built a house. Both men encountered the same storm. It didn't exempt either of them are facing the storms of life. But what was the difference? The one man's house stayed, was able to endure the storm. The others didn't because the foundation was the difference. And the foundation was they both heard Jesus' words. This guy wasn't, this guy built, this foolish guy wasn't like off living a reckless life. He was listening to the same words that the first guy was in. What was the difference? The first guy chose to not just listen to Jesus, but put it into practice, to build his life and say, this is the man who has the truth, and I'm going to build my life upon him. We sing a song called Firm Foundation. It's a beautiful song. It talks about this, how the winds and the rain uh, and the storms of life come to all of us. But we can build a life that can endure. Why? Because of the foundation that we're building our life upon. And so Jesus put that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, basically, if you heard a lot of what I'm going to say, okay, but here's the danger. You can walk away and think, I've just heard a lot. That was a beautiful teaching. Oh, that was a beautiful Jesus. Who can preach like him? I've never heard anyone articulate like him. And that person's life can go on and not be changed at all versus the person who says, man, what he had to say about turning other cheek, what he had to say about this, what he had to say, I've never heard that. I want to start living like that's true. And that's the one that turns their life around. And so I wonder if at the end of every sermon we should read recount that parable just to remind us like hey we now in we have a choice to make we can be tickled and say oh, that was a great sermon or that was a terrible sermon richard really could do a better job whatever it is <laughs> or we can say actually say actually we should take this seriously and build our lives upon because whether you, you choose to a consciously or not you're building your life upon some foundation just the question is is it a good one is it a, a is it a trustworthy one or will it stand the testing that life will bring all right so in some ways many of us know the importance of scripture um, even for those of you who maybe are new to the faith maybe a bit skeptical of faith we know the importance of the bible is still one of the most read books in the world it is a book that's literally changed not just people's lives but civilizations so we can we can debate some other things about the bible but we cannot debate its impact and its significance upon um, humanity um, jesus himself if you're a follower of jesus you can't deny that he held scripture he held the word in high esteem told us it's like daily bread that you're going to need. You can build your life upon this. I mean, what what else could you build your life? I mean, this is sure foundation stuff. And so why then do we struggle so much to get into this scripture so often? Why do we struggle to devote ourselves to scripture, the teachings of Jesus, the Holy Bible? Um, why do we struggle at devotion in an age of distraction? We're going to talk about just some of the challenges of getting into the Word, getting into Scripture, devoting ourselves to something that's so life-giving, that's such a true foundation. And um, 
and what are some of just those challenges that we face? I'm going to highlight three. There's probably many more, but three that I can see certainly in my own life, but certainly in people that I've pastored and helped walk through, particularly in our time and age that we find ourselves in. Um, last summer, in fact, the last two summers, not this summer, but last summer, um, we uh, we did what was called a church pulse survey. Many of you filled that out for us. And uh, what we wanted to do is particularly in, in the height of just our pandemic, we wanted to get a, just a sense of, how people were doing. Um, just get a pulse, literally a pulse on where our church was at with many things. Financially, how are you doing? Can we help? Emotionally, how are you doing? Can we help? Um, in your spiritual life, in your walk. And one of the questions we asked was um, about your Bible. Tell us about your devotional habits. Tell us about your prayer life. Tell us about your Bible reading habit. And the, one of the questions was, I read the Bible, and we had different arm, uh, options, daily, regularly, sporadically, really. And um, it was very interesting to get some of this feedback. Um, a lot of our church did it. And so uh, I combined some groupings, and basically it was split almost half and half. 56% of our church community said they read the Bible either daily or regularly. It's a fantastic habit. That's really encouraging. You know, as, as someone... Uh, who spends a lot of time teaching and preaching, it's really encouraging to hear that you're not just relying on this message alone, that you're getting your daily sustenance like Jesus, or you're regularly getting some sustenance that Jesus said. On the flip side, for the mathematicians out there, you can guess it, 44%, it's quite a high number, it's almost half, said that they read their Bible sporadically, kind of occasionally, kind of like cake for special occasion kind of thing, already. And that's disheartening. Uh, that's concerning. Um, because, you know, you would assume that we're talking to Christians, right, in our church community. And so I know there's probably various reasons. Maybe that statistic has changed. Maybe it's gone up to the, and more people, I don't know. But it is a pulse. It does show you, and not just where our church is, I think it shows you where a lot of Christians find themselves. Is we, we know that this is central. We know that this is central to, to being Christian, but somehow we still don't have ways to bring it into a daily or regular occurrence into our daily lives. And there's a danger there. And one of the dangers is because we are distracted. Distraction. The smartphone and the TV screen. Now, we have spent some time in previous messages. Um, I'm not going to harp on this, but we know in the day and age, we're now about 20 to 30 years into this thing called the smartphone. We're in what's called the information age. We're now beginning to see some data that's coming back to us to tell us the smartphones, is it good or bad for our lives? And we know that people who develop apps to be used on smartphones develop them in such a way as to get you to spend the most amount of time on said app, within said app. That's how they generate their income, their money from that. The, the, the phone is literally designed for you to pick it up and not put it down. Literally designed to pull you back again and again and again and again to that phone. Um, I spent a little bit of time just looking at some actually global research that's been done in this. And different kind of, it's quite fascinating. You can track different countries' usage of screens and that kind of thing. But for Canadians, we spend on average six and a half hours a day on screens. Now that could be a, a, a smartphone, it could be a TV screen, watching TV, it could be a laptop. It doesn't necessarily say what exactly you're doing on those screens. Maybe it is being used for work purposes. But that's a lot of time on a screen. Two and a half hours a day of that is on mobile screens. And a one and a half hours a day on average was spending in social media specific apps. All right. And so 
you know, we can, we can debate whether that's good or healthy. I know some people find um, a lot of benefit from social media. It's connection to people, catching people's lives. But we also know that that is a, a dangerous place to be spending a lot of time because so many people are trying to shape what you think about different things. You know, we're, we're, we're being one and a half hours a day is a devotion. It's a devotion to something that's maybe not necessarily telling us what's true. You know, people telling us we're, what standards of beauty there are out there, what we should be giving our lives to, what's important, um, how we should be living our lives, how we shouldn't be, who we should and shouldn't listen to. And so all of this information is coming at us, and we are fools if we think that it's just neutral, that we're beshaped, we're constantly being formed by what we're hearing. Uh, uh, Robert Mulholland, in his fantastic book, An Invitation to Journey, this quote, he points out how all of life is forming you and I. Spiritually, it's forming us. We're, we're all being disciples. It's not a question if you're going to be a disciple or not. It's just a question of who or what are you going to be a disciple of. Listen to this. He says, we fail to realize that the process of spiritual shaping is a primal reality of human existence. Everyone is in a process of spiritual formation. Every thought we hold, every decision we make, every action we take, Every emotion we allow to shape our behavior, every response we make to the world around us, every relationship we enter into, excuse me, every reaction we have toward the things that surround us and impinge upon our lives, all of these things, little by little, are shaping us into some kind of being. We are being shaped into either the wholeness of the image of Christ or a horribly destructive caricature of that image, destructive not only to ourselves but also to others. For we inflict our brokenness upon them. And so Jesus wants us to be full and flourishing as human beings. That's what it means to be in the image of God, to flourish as a human being. And there are ways and practices we can do that take us down that path. And then then there are ways and practices that take us away from that path. And that's what Mulholland is highlighting here, is we don't get to choose necessarily um, uh, to be a disciple, not we just get to choose which path are we going to take, and so much of that is subconscious. So much of that happens as we just go about some of these daily distracted habits. And so the first challenge is that we're in an age of just incredible distraction. Hundreds, thousands of things are competing for your attention and my attention. The nature that this is coming to you on a screen is probably a temptation. You're probably watching this message on a screen that you would binge a Netflix series or watch your favorite sports teams. And so these are all distractions that you and I have to face up to uh, if we're going to be devoted to Scripture, devoted to the ways and the words of Jesus. The second thing that I would call is a disconnect. Somehow there's a disconnect between God and the authority of Scripture. And so some people like to think of them as spiritual, but not really adhering to any kind of uh, church authority or scriptural authority. Um, one of the best persons that I can ever quote when I ever talk about this is our very own Dr. Lucas Massiel. In our foundations course, which we're going to be relaunching in the fall, so look out for that, he, he sums it up beautifully and succinctly the challenge we find in this age of a disconnect from any kind of authoritarian figure or holy scripture upon our lives. Uh, he says, we live in an age of chaos and confusion. It is chaos because we have an unprecedented amount of voices, options, and opinions for everything in life. Chaos doesn't arise from simply having too many voices around us. 
but from having all voices equally loud. The result is a leveling of all points of view, reducing them to the level of mere taste. And since there are matters of taste, it becomes unthinkable to try to impose ours on others. Truth is reduced to opinion and fact to preference. And that's a far cry from what Jesus was telling us about the importance of Scripture, about the importance of being building our lives upon the foundation, the true nature of Scripture. Uh, I don't have this quote up for you, but I want to quote him as well. John Eldred says, Despite what the world is shouting at you, the story of God is still the story of the world. This is the hardest thing to hang on to, and the most important thing to hang on to. The story of God is still the story of of the world. And so it doesn't matter how many of those voices and those voices have been amplified and we we're exposed to so many more voices than we were 30 years ago. And we're just not smart enough. We're not wise enough to be able to filter out those voices. We need to be able to have a bedrock to build our lives upon with which then to be able to discern some of those voices. Are they telling me something that's good and true and beautiful? Or is it telling me something that's different that isn't in line with what is good, true and beautiful according to scripture? And then the last um, challenge that I can see, particularly for for us, is we, we're incredibly distracted. There seems a disconnect increasingly from what is true, any kind of standard and authority of, of truth. But then lastly, I think for a lot of people who do believe the Bible is true, um, there's a challenge of familiarity. When you've just read something, you know, when you've just heard something a lot, we can get familiar with it. Now, familiarity can be a good thing. You want to get familiar with something. You want to get comfortable with something. But it always has a danger that we get too comfortable with it, that we begin to, uh, you know, familiarity breeds contempt. That's the phrase that comes to mind, is is we can almost begin to dismiss it. Psalm 23, oh yeah, I've read that many times. I know what that is. Ephesians, I've read that many times. And it's like, whoa, okay, yeah, we've all read parts of the Bible many times. But you know, like I do, you can read parts of the Bible and it might be the hundredth time you're reading, but God can still speak something very clearly, specifically to you. And sometimes that comes with an attitude and a posture of a heart that's humble. God, I might be reading this psalm for the hundredth time, but I still believe your words of life and truth are in there. Help me find it today. Help me hang on to something that speaks to me today. And I think that attitude makes all the difference. That yes, I get comfortable. I should have a familiarity. If I'm a Christian and follow Jesus for any length of time, I should be getting a familiarity with this book. I should be getting comfortable with this book. But my attitude should not be one of familiarity. Oh yeah, I know what that says. Oh yeah, I know what Jeremiah was saying. And oh yeah, I've read that many, many times. Let me tell you. It's like, God, let this speak to me over and over and over and over again. And so those are some of the challenges. There's probably many more, pretty, some challenges pretty unique to you in terms of what prevents us from getting more regularly and daily and not sporadically and rarely into our scriptures. But I want to shift now and I want to just remind us of the invitation here. The invitation is for us not to come to a book, but to encounter God, the living God, through scripture. And I want to do it very quickly through Psalm 19. Beautiful Psalm. Um, if you've read this many times, have new ears to hear. God give us new ears to hear. We've read this. It's a popular psalm. But I want to read it. I want to break it down to three things in the invitation here. Number one, here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, 
which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And so I want to pause there, and so here's the great invitation. God has chosen to reveal himself to you and I. God could have chosen not to reveal himself to us, but he has chosen to reveal himself to us. And one of the first and primary ways that he's chosen to reveal himself to us is what the first six verses of this psalm talk about, natural revelation. In other words, as we look out into nature, as we look out into creation, as we look at the heavens, as we look at the earth, we see that it declares the glory of God. As we see the intelligence and the beauty behind what is being made, it's supposed to awaken us to someone behind that, a creator behind this creation, that we can know something about God from what we see in creation. But the psalm doesn't stop there. As beautiful as that is, and I hope you know you would have felt this if you've ever experienced a moment in creation, and it's why we encourage one another to get out into creation, because it can be a very transcendent experience. It's designed to do that. It's designed to capture us in wonder when we see a stunning sunset or we're an early riser and get that, that flat lake view and the sunrise coming out, whatever it is for you, or the, the, the different types of wildlife, a plant life, God can use that to declare His glory to us, to draw us into the invitation, what to know Him. But we can't know Him very well just by creation, just by this general revelation. We can get a general sense, but God wants more for us than that. He wants to reveal Himself personally, specifically to us. So let's carry on and read in the psalm. Verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so don't be put off here by the, the words. We're going to hear this very differently in our 21st century voice here. When we hear a word, the word law, commandment, uh, testimony, rules, it doesn't sound very life-giving, right? But you must understand what they're talking about is this was the Torah. This was the, the, the revelation that God gave Moses for the people to know God better. Um, every culture had gods at that time. Every culture worshipped and had ideas of who the gods were. But what made the nation of Israel distinct and separate was that God chose to reveal himself very specifically to his people through all these kind of laws and commandments, and this is how you're going to live, and be holy, because I'm holy. This is what I'm like. This is how I'm like. This is how life is designed for you to flourish. And so they took that law, commandment, the Torah, and it was a way to know God, not just generally, but specifically, special revelation for them, to draw them in. And look what it says. It says, Scripture reveals God to our souls. It 
revives our soul. It makes us wise. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. You know, maybe you're needing some reviving and renewal and refreshing of your soul, right? Hands up if you do. And maybe it's not going to come from the next Netflix series that's out there. Maybe it's not going to come from the next vacation as good as those are. Maybe it's not going to come from the next romantic relationship you think you need to become alive again. Maybe it's going to come from devoting yourself to this book, to discovering the God who loves you. And when a moment in his presence can refresh you, like a hundred days on the beach will never refresh you. And so I want to encourage you. The invitation is for us to draw close to God, not just through creation, as great as that is, but through the special revelation of his scripture. And then thirdly, look at what happens here. Verse 12, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lots going on, but can you see the progression? The invitation, again, is to draw close to God. The invitation is to know God. God has a desire, has revealed ourselves to us. He desires us to draw close to him through creation, through beautiful things like that, but not just stop there. Get to know him personally through scripture, through Jesus. Obviously, is the clearest revelation of who God is. And then thirdly, from general revelation to special revelation comes self-revelation. That the psalmist ends off having been exposed to the beauty of God in creation, been exposed to just the intimacy of God in his soul and what his soul needs. He then looks and sees, yeah, woe is me. God, I need you. God, cleanse my life. God, he gives him a sense of perspective on who he is, a self-awareness, if you will, a self-revelation. And that's the design and desire as we get close to God, as we discover God who he is. And in light of that, we discover who we are and we're invited to draw close to him in deeper relationship. And so I want to end off with something incredibly practical today. There are many ways to get into Scripture. There are many ways to cultivate a devotion to Scripture. There's some incredible apps. I'm not anti-technology in case you get that idea. Um, and so there's some incredible apps. There's three apps that I've used that I can highly recommend. I'm on the Bible by You version. If you want to get a Bible reading plan, if you want to get a structure, a trellis going in your life, maybe you, you lack a bit of that trellis, I'd encourage you to use an app like the Bible app um, from You version to get into some simple plans, deeper plans, through the Bible plans, whatever is incredibly helpful app um, that we've promoted before. The second one, if you want to go a bit deeper in your study, the Bible Project is an incredibly great app as well um, to to look into, go a bit deeper into your study. And then thirdly, if you're an audio person, if you uh, struggle to read but like to listen, um, I want to encourage you to look at the Dwell app, an incredible app that's designed. It's one of the, it's called the Spotify of the Bible. It's beautiful playlists that they put together with great background music. If you want to discover character of God, beautiful place. If you want to work through, listen to books of the Bible, if you commute, you know, if you spend a lot of time in your car, commuting on the subway, whatever, it's amazing how much you can listen to in just the pockets of time during the day. But I'm telling you, you're getting scripture through that. It's going to be shaping you amongst all those other voices that you're listening to when you turn on the radio, when you turn on the TV, when you open up your social media app. Let the voice of God be one of those voices that speaks and gives context to all those other voices that you're going to be bombarded with throughout the day. So those are incredible apps. Um, part of their devotion was devoting themselves to 
scripture, not just personally, but in community. Now, I know in the summer, a lot of times our small groups take a break or they focus a little bit more on just getting outside and hanging out, which is really great. We looked at that last week, the importance of fellowship, of community, going deeper relationally. The summer sets it up for that, encourage you. But typically when our small groups get back in the fall, is our small groups are um, sermon-centered, they're ba- or sermon-based at least. They're based upon the sermon here. And we made that decision many years ago for many good reasons, but one of them is we don't believe that you need more information. We believe that you're being drowned in information. There is so much great information, so much ways to get into the Bible. What we are lacking is a little bit what Jesus is talking about, applying that truth to our lives. Applying what we're hearing on a Sunday, what we're hearing and reading in Scripture to our lives. That's what the small group is designed to do, is to help you and I wrestle and apply to our lives. So this week, if you're going to be doing the discussion guide, also if you're not in a small group and you want to use the discussion guide, it's made available to you. On the website, it's designed to help you take what we're talking about today and apply it to your lives and ask questions of your lives. And so, you know, if you're going to be in a small group that's going to use a discussion guide this week, it's going to ask you, how is your Bible reading going? And a small group should be a safe place to say, I'm one of those rarely sporadic people, but I don't want to stay there. And so we're going to help one another to get regularly and daily into Jesus' daily bread for us. He's got a feast for us. So those are some great ways. But a plan for Scripture is good, but the attitude and approach makes all the difference, right? I'm not knocking structure. Structure is important. I need structure in my life. Most of us probably need structure. We're not naturally self-disciplined, not naturally self-controlled. But we can do all that and miss the point. And so I want to I want to suggest a very simple uh, five movements to take you into God's Word um, it's an ancient practice called Lectio Divina. It just means sacred or divine reading. And there's five movements. In fact, we designed and set up our small group to go through these movements. Number one, read. So select a few verses. Uh, the idea here is not to read large chunks of Scripture. That's a great way to do Scripture at another time. The idea with Lectio Divina is to find out God's Word for me today. Take a few Scriptures, 8 to 10 script. Work through the Gospels is a great way to do that. And read those, those verses multiple times. And while you're doing that, you're asking God, God, is there a word or a phrase that's going to stick out to me? Is there a word? Reflect. Read it a few times. The second one, read. Does a word particularly stick out to you? Does a phrase stick out to you? The third movement you're going to go is you're going to respond to that word or that phrase that's sticking out to you. Is there resistance to it? Is there a resonance with it? Do you feel God speaking to you through that particular word or phrase for you and your context right now? And then the fourth movement is then we're going to rest. And this is just simply just a posture and attitude of resting and saying, God, your word is enough for me. Um, we're in a very anxious time and age, but I'm going to choose to rest on the truth of your word and this word to me. And then the fifth movement is a resolve, is a resolve to put it into practice in my life. It's a resolve to take it with me throughout the rest of the day if you do this in the morning. It's a resolve to allow your world to be reframed by the words of Scripture primarily than all the other words that want to try and frame your world today, how your emotions want to try and frame your world today, how your circumstances are going to try and frame reality for you today. It's a rest and a resolve that God's word is going to be ultimate in my life. And so that's a simple movement. I went through that very quickly. You can look at it in the discussion guide and unpack it a little bit more. But I don't encourage you that. I was 
um, introduced to this a few years ago when I began my master's study. I tell you, it's been a really refreshing way for me uh, to get into Scripture, a different way as well. Sometimes a different approach to Scripture is also very refreshing. But I want to end off with C.S. Lewis. And I, I love this quote because at the end of the day, this is what it's about. And he says this, It is Christ himself, not the Bible, who is the true word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to him. There's the invitation. The invitation is to encounter God, is to encounter Jesus through Scripture. It's not to get good at reading my Bible as, as much as we want that for you. It's not to get, it's a means to an end. And the end is Jesus, that he has the words of life for you and I. He, 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 he is the one our souls need for refreshing and renewal. He is the one that has enlightenment for our paths. He is the one that makes us wise if we listen to his words and put them into practice and build our lives upon Scripture. That's the invitation for you and I today, to devote ourselves to Scripture. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.